This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 70. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, hey, today we're going to talk about the story of your life and why it matters. The work on this episode is based on the book Second Wave Positive Psychology by my former lecturers at the University of East London, Itai Ifzan, Kate Heffron and Tim Lomas. It's my take on the chapter on positive development. Um, I'm just pointing this out for those of you who do positive psychology themselves and want to check it out further. So what does story have to do with it? Well, most of this idea that story is relevant to identities based on the research by a guy called Dan McAdams. And his idea is that we understand ourselves, the world, and our place within it through the self-defining stories we tell ourselves about our past, the present, and the future. This process never stops, um, although we might settle to never examine certain elements of our story for decades. That's also possible. Without a story to bind the events, we experience every day, everything, just, you know, everything would just be random. It would just be a random collection of happenings, thoughts and feelings without any, anything to glue them together. And story is what glues things together. And the stories that we repeatedly tell ourselves become part of our identity. Now, the idea is that we examine our life through the elements that make up stories so we can understand ourselves better. So, the elements of story. Here, we're talking about things like themes, episodes, characters, the setting and the tone. And I will obviously get into each and every one of them. So, what do we mean by themes? Well, these are the topics that seem to come up in our life again and again. I'm sure you also have them. So here are some ideas of eternal struggles that humans have faced probably for a very long time. Do we trust or do we choose fear? What is the relationship between independence versus conformity? Nobody is just independent and nobody conforms all the time, but how does this polarity play out in your life? Do we take the lead or do we let things just happen to us passively? Do we opt for intimacy and the inevitable pain that comes with it or do we choose isolation, which leads to a different kind of pain? Are we done with learning stuff once we leave school and university and are not forced to do it on the job or... Do we choose to actively learn, study, and create things on an ongoing basis? Do we give in to despair, or do we rely on our values and our mindset? Can you think of other relevant themes in your life? Which ones are most important for you? Life gives us many opportunities to choose our stance. After the ending of important relationships, for example, there is a huge temptation to not trust anyone ever again in that way to prevent us from hurt. Yet, a few years ago, I realized that if I give in to that impulse, I sacrifice the most exciting life, moments of my life. So instead of giving in to fear, wherever I am conscious of it at least, 
I opt for trust and try to invest in my ability to bounce back after blows instead of evading them altogether. For me personally, independence is a huge issue. I treasure it, I want it, and I get very unpleasant if you or anybody else doesn't let me do my work and live my life the way I see fit. However, this also bears the risk of moving away from others too much, of isolating myself too much, of wanting to solve every problem by myself. And that's what I mean with these recurring topics and themes in your life. For some people, the theme might be around abandonment or about abuse or on a positive note, you know, there are also positive themes. Maybe life shows you that you are capable again and again to rise to the challenges you set yourself or the ones that life throws at you. Now, another aspect of story are episodes. Those are these kind of defining moments such as early memories of peak experiences, flow moments, bad moments as well, and of course, turning points in our lives. Now, of course, they don't have to all occur when we're young. These defining episodes can happen at any point in time. Can you think of any of them? Things where something suddenly changed. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be a moment-by-moment episode, you know, like you received the letter with some horrifying news or something like that. It can also be an episode of a time, you know, a couple of days where, where events unfolded or something like that. Then what also shapes the story of our lives are the people, the characters who populate our life. Who are the most important people in your life? Who shaped you the most? Who represents features that you admired or even idolized in the past or even now? Then all of our life happens somewhere. That's the setting. So what are the places that you connect to childhood? Which are the places you spend the most time in? Where do you spend your best moments? Where are the worst? And finally, from the elements of story, there's the tone. If you pick up a book, there's a tone in which the writer conveys the story. It could be buoyant, it can be sarcastic, it can be hopeful, or it can be a know-it-all. And, of course, several others as well. If someone would write down your stories in your own words, what do you think this to- the tone would sound like? For me, it depends on the day. Most days, probably, when I think about things it will be overwhelmingly hopeful. Some days it will be super, super idealistic and other days really snarky and pissed off. I'm honest about that. But for me, what matters the most is the fact that the tone of my life in terms of how often do I feel cynical or snarky or any of these things compared to how often I feel optimistic and hopeful, to me, it's always a question about how much because you can you can literally throw any label at anyone and you know some days or hours of their life it's got to be true right so for me the goal is not to never ever be sarcastic although I try to minimize it and I try to minimize things like you know being also self-righteous and stuff like that But the important thing is not to punish yourself when it happens, but to understand that you keep it at a really low dose, so to speak, compared to what your tone is overall. Now, what influences how you tell your story? One influence 
are your life stages. We'll get into those in a minute. Then another influence is the people that we internalized and, of course, defining events of our lives. I'll get into all of them. Now, for now, the life stages. Well, every culture has certain expectations of how life is supposed to progress. This is true um, for our biology, our psychology, and, of course, our practical life. This starts even before we are born, where doctors monitor that the fetus develops according to plan. Everything from when we start to walk and talk to how we relate to others follows a time plan. There is, this is not necessarily a bad thing. If you think about it, it's really helpful to understand if something is wrong so that we have enough time to act and to fix whatever needs to be fixed. However, whenever life doesn't move according to these timelines, we can feel the consequences. And the consequences can be harmless, like people just worry about us. They see us as a problem, or maybe they don't want anything to do with us because we don't progress normally or we don't act normally according to their ideas. These reactions lead us to question ourselves and possibly see ourselves as failures or not worthy. It's important to note, though, that even if we hit all the stages on time, the very key choices and transitions we have to manage are full of uncertainty and stress. So it's not just you who is struggling, but often people who are in the middle of uncertainty and change have to find ways of coping with it. And that's just that's just the result or an outcome of being in a specific stage of life. There are different life stage models. Now, I found this one helpful because it's less abstract than others and focuses on key choices we all have to make at some point. This model, I have to say, does not cover, 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 cover? <laughs> I don't know what the hell. Uh, does not cover childhood stages. There we go. So the first stage is the early adult transition. That is from 17 to 22 years old. Um, a time of great uncertainty when childhood is over and adulthood has not yet begun. Next is entry life structure. Age 22 to 28. Important decisions that have to be made during this time. How will I make a living? Do I enter into a stable relationship? Do I leave my family and my city behind or do I stay close? What do I want to achieve? What kind of lifestyle do I want to lead? Around age 30, we start to reconsider these choices. And ideally, what we do is we keep what worked out and we either fix or abandon what didn't work out. Culminating life structure, that's what happens between 33 to 40. And now in this model, the word culminating will come up a couple of times. And basically, it just means a period of stability. So here we commit more clearly to the choices surrounding our job or family life by building stable structures around that. Then between 40 and 45, the midlife transition starts. Here, youth has officially ended and once again we take stock of what we've chosen to do. We look at our achievements, we move a little bit more towards 
being individuals and being less constrained by what others expect us to do. We sense that life is not going to go on forever. Um, this is not the first time. That doesn't mean you never think about death before you're 40, but this is the first time that you actually start to really think about it unless, of course, you've been confronted with it. You know, if a family member uh, dies or if who's close to you or if you have some life-threatening illness, obviously you will start thinking about these things way earlier than we talk about in this model. But if everything progresses halfway smoothly, that's apparently when most people start thinking about these things. Then we, our people, enter the middle adulthood um, entry life structure, which is between 45 and 50. And here, new structures become necessary because we reach the peak of what we're able to achieve at work, or at least a lot of people do, and the kids move out. So the same routines that people have had for years and years might not be necessary anymore or even exist. That's what happens. And then next is age 50 transition between 50 and 55. And here we start thinking about the kind of old person that we want to be. Now, weirdly enough, I started thinking about this as a teenager. And my conclusion was that I wanted to play the drums and possibly smoke weed for the first time in my life to get thrown out of the old people's home. Now, with some time and perspective, I think that sadly this won't be possible anymore. Because weed will be legal by then everywhere. Nobody's going to throw me out. So, yeah, stupid plan. I'm not, I don't know. Anyways, I won't have to come up with new ways to get thrown out of the old people's home. I don't know why this seems like a really worthy goal to me. Even 16 years later, I have no clue why. Then next is the culminating life structure. Remember, culminating means that that's, again, a, a period of stability. That's between 55 and 60. We have explored and achieved our life's aspirations and goals, or we've missed them and probably don't get a lot of shots at them again. So that's where we're at around that time. And then the late adulthood transition comes from 60 onwards. Here we can finally fully grow into our unique selves. At least that is ideally what ha what's happening. Now, for some reason, he didn't, Levinson is the guy who did this model, and he didn't consider what happens after 60. To me, I, I'm a bit surprised, but then again, it probably reflects this idea that once you're old, you're old. And, um, but to me, it's still a difference. Probably you're in a different state if you're 60 than if you're 85. And I imagine that they are very different challenges as well. Now, clearly this model depends on your culture. And this was, you know, Levinson was, was from the West. So, for example, my Orthodox Jewish friends, they started family life about 12 years earlier than all my other friends. Society's perception of what these stages mean can also influence how you see yourself. So, for example, by glorifying youth and viewing older people as the opposite of young and fit, we can also adopt certain limitations which have nothing to do with our actual physical or intellectual capabilities. So, which stage are you in? Can you see how meeting or not meeting these milestones can inform your life and the story you tell yourselves? Next up on what influences how you 
tell your own story are the things called internal <laughs> internal <laughs> I don't know what's going on today talking seems to be hard all right let's try again intern <laughs> internalizations there we go by spending lots of time with people we absorb their belief system if their powerful presence is in our life we hear their guidance even when they're elsewhere do you hear the thunder I could have cut this out, but personally, as a podcast listener, I love ambient sounds, so I'm going to leave the thunder in if you hear it. All right, uh, back to the guidance. Sometimes we recognize that other people, like let's say our mother or our teachers, are very prominently featured in our brain. But sometimes their voice is, you know, we don't understand it. It's basically our unconscious pretends that that's our voice, but it's really not. Either way, it is vital to understand how other people rub off on us and might influence how we see ourselves. Finally, defining events. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while, first of all, thanks a lot. You will know about this idea that it's not so much the events that predict our well-being, but how we respond to them. Our emotions are triggered by the explanations and stories we tell ourselves, mostly without us even noticing it. While some events like losing a spouse or a child or being unemployed for a long time have very bad effects on us, even in these extreme cases, if you look closely, you will always find people who experience the same tragic event but can process it very differently. And one big, big aspect of that is that they choose to tell a different stories. Story. Hurrah. So, how can we improve our story? Generally, seeing yourself as a survivor beats seeing yourself as a victim. Seeing things as learning experiences and lessons instead of unshakably horrible and unjust is helpful. Accepting and transforming pain versus negating or repressing it. Gratitude versus a sense of entitlement. Nobody owes us anything. Of course it would be nice if we were kinder, more supportive, or compassionate with each other. But we are so much better off to flip this around and be grateful for when people are nice or even when they don't choose the bad action, even though they could, we are so much better off than if we kind of, you know, soak in our sense of entitlement. And I have to remind myself of that as well sometimes. Sometimes I think things should be done better or according to what I think is right. And, and in the end, even if, if, even if I'm right, even if everybody agrees with me, the reality doesn't change. And all that entitlement gets me is just being pissed off. When we can't be positive about something, we can at least be open to the idea that other interpretations are possible and valid, even if we're not yet in a place to believe them. What's also helpful? Action versus reaction. What would you think of a movie hero who sits at home and waits for the bad guys to come to him but never does anything about it. If someone is strong, smart, 
otherwise capable in a movie, we expect them to use those resources. Otherwise, it's almost selfish, isn't it? Imagine Hercules or the Braveheart guy, and they will just leave all their strength and courage, and they will just leave that untapped. That seems a bit selfish, right? Even if we have been mainly reacting to life up until now, instead of shaping it, you can design to change that today. Remember the elements of story? What themes are worthy of your sustained energy in the future? This is how we shape our life instead of reacting it, by answering these questions and then devoting our energies towards making them a reality. What kind of people do you want in your life? Where would you find them? Even if it's just online. What kind of places make you happy? Do you hear the rain? I love hearing the rain. What kind of places make you happy, healthy, or give you a sense of meaning? What kind of tone do you wish you'd have most of the time? Who already talks or writes that way that you can immerse yourself in? And without wanting to blow my horn or anything like that, that's something that I find podcasts are super useful if I don't know, for example, I don't know a lot of people who are entrepreneurs at all. But by listening to a lot of podcasts which are related to that, this idea that you could do something and be self-employed seems less out there than if I would just rely on the people who are in my life right now. By thinking about these things and moving towards them constantly, you start writing your story instead of having it written by others. The story you tell yourself about the world and yourself has more influence on your happiness and well-being than the actual events that happen. If you can understand the story you tell yourself now and reformulate it, you will start to be more grateful for what you have. You will appreciate the more hidden beauty in this world. You will see opportunities that didn't register with you and cope better with the hardships life throws at you. Now, we got another iTunes review by Mobile Condor from the US of A. This is my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it each and every new episode. I can't tell you how much this podcast has improved my life. Ten stars would be more, appreci- uh, would be more appropriate. Thanks a lot, Mobile Condor. That is wonderful to hear. If you ever find yourself in the position to tell me how your life has changed, I would love to hear it. But for now, thanks a lot for the review. You, Mobile Condor, have helped someone else find the podcast more easily by taking these three or four minutes that you needed to write the review and investing them instead of doing something else. So thank you very much. I hope those of you who gave Audible a try are as happy with it as I am. For those of you who like to listen to books in other languages as well, so it doesn't have to be English, they also have a wide selection of books in German, including the Harry Potter series, for example, and Spanish, to name a few. If you would like to try out their membership, get a free uh, e-book, no, sorry, get a free audiobook, and at the same time support me and the Positive Psychology Podcast by paying the hosting fees for a month. Please check out strengthsphoenix.com slash audible 
strengthsphoenix.com slash audible. Okay, now I am looking forward to your European Soccer Championship in France. I know nobody in the US cares. You have the Copa de America, I saw. And I am not watching it because the time zone is really bad for that. However, I am seeing the results. So if any of you are soccer fans, uh, yeah, I hope it goes better than it did with Colombia. All right, cheers. Have a splendid week. And until we meet again, bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at Kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>